Welcome to the Digital Transformationist podcast, where we get curious together about what technology is teaching us about human ingenuity, resilience, and the mysterious force that magnetizes us towards connection with one another. I'm Katie Thomas, and together with our host, Christian Lane, founding partner at Percipio Consulting, our co-host, G-Love, Grammy-nominated artist, and our incredible guests, we embark on a journey to better understand technology's role in amplifying the connection between us all. We'll hear from technologists, practitioners, revolutionaries, innovators, environmentalists, artists, and more, all sharing their experiences with technology and how it shaped their lives and industries. In this episode, we continue with our team series and spotlight Shannon Fabert, our incredible principal of managed services and managed hosting at Precipio Consulting. With her deep experience in process management, Shannon leads an entirely remote team of brilliant people that help organizations crush their Atlassian game. When she's not improving processes and creating value for our clients, Shannon stays active in our internal social justice group, leading the charge for creating conversations and consciousness about social issues in the workplace. We chat with Shannon about how technology has transformed the consulting space, the people in her life that have inspired her activism, and how to stay human and drive positive change in a digitally connected world. She also shares her experience with running a political campaign, using Confluence nonetheless, and what it taught her about the role that technology plays in shaping public policy. Today's episode is brought to you by the migration experts at AppFire, makers of Configuration Manager for Jira and 150 plus other helpful Atlassian apps. AppFire wrote the ultimate guide to Jira migrations, packed with checklists, worksheets, and expert-level guidance to help organizations move from Jira server to data center or cloud with confidence. Learn more and download your free copy at appfire.com migration. All right, Shannon, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Digital Transformationist podcast. Um, so to get things started, uh, we've been uh, interviewing and, and chatting with a lot of amazing folks out in the world of technology, uh, you know, companies that we do business with like Atlassian, uh, thought leaders and leadership leaders, and agile leaders like Lisa Atkins. And over the past few days, I've been chatting with a few of our own team members. We've met, uh, visited with Brian Robinson, with Amanda Babb, and now we're super stoked to introduce you, Shannon, to the podcast. Um, obviously, the, the overall arc of this podcast is about the digital transformation. So before we get into that, though, share with us a little bit about uh, your experience in management consulting and how you've parlayed effectively that experience into your work with us at Precipia Consulting. Um, well, I think first and foremost, um, it's about relationship building. Um, we know that I'm here at Precipio because of Amanda and Brian. Um, at some point or another, I had the pleasure of working with them in the past uh, at, at a small consulting firm. And um, I'll tell you, I got started in consulting. Um, I think I got started in consulting when I was a kid, you know, just being bossy and telling people what to do. And um, I got into, I went to grad school and was like, I think I want to be a management consultant and then found this really great opportunity. Um, it's kind of funny because you know, I was at a space in my life where I needed to be able to move around. Um, Greg um, was moving, was going to be moving a lot. And I was like, well, I need to move where he moves. 
Um, and this management consulting gig was on the road. Um, so all I really needed was a major airport. So it worked out really well. Um, along the way, I decided you know, I, I really liked it. Um, I love the idea of helping companies transform, helping them change um, just by looking at their processes. Uh, and it was really fun and easy to do. And so move along a few years later, um, I, like I said, I got to work with Amanda and Brian and they called me up one day and said, hey, we think we might have a spot for you. And I was like, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> Very three, cool. Well, and three years later, here I am. Here we are. So you mentioned that a lot of the work that you like doing in consulting is, is helping companies see transformation. And we're helping a lot of companies to the digital transformation. How have you applied what you've learned about transformation and management consulting to the work that we're doing uh, around processes and, and, and practices and technology? Well, I think it's, you know, a lot of people come in and think it's just a tool. And when you show people how the tool is representative of somebody's business, they really latch on and start to see like the beauty of what, you know, what we're doing here and having the, being able to have, you know, process business process conversations with clients, uh, on so many levels, just about, you know, what is it that you do? Um, and where is it that you want to go? Those are, you know, those are real business conversations. And then being able to say, Hey, we have something for you that can, that can help you do that, um, becomes a really, really easy conversation. So, um, over here in the managed services world, it's always about problem solving. How can the, how can, how can we help you? So in your experience, um, you know, you shared the importance of relationships and people, and obviously all of the things that we're doing are people centric and, and digital, uh, transformation is helping companies and people, um, you know, achieve more, do better. Um, how, how does technology and this transformation we're going through uh, make lives better? In so many ways. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, actually, we were at um, Ascend and you and I and Amanda were having a conversation about the speed of change. And we were talking in particular about, you know, you've gone through an industrial revolution and here we are in a digital revolution right now. And the speed and access of information, um, how people are connected um, from where we are right now, from where we were even 20 years ago when the internet was first catching on and you were in college and getting your first email address. Um, it's amazing how much faster we can share information. And that's not just social media, that's you know in businesses. Um, that's one of my favorite things. How do we connect the dots faster? How do we help you make decisions faster? Um, and that's, you know, that is our platform. How do we mm -hmm. help get you there sooner? Sure. Well, it's, it's the, the thing is, is a, that same value statement or value proposition about technology is effectively still the same statement being made 20, 30 years ago. But the pace at which we're enabling this and facilitating it is, is, is pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, how much faster will things go? until we get the next thing. Um, it, you know, there's, it's, it's a crazy spike, right? Um, when you, I think when you look at the transformation and you look, we're really just on the precipice of where we can get to with AI and digital transformation. And so I think, I mean, it, it's literally a matter of, if you can think of it, how can we get, how can we achieve it? 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really cool um, with business that people are like, oh, and people are sometimes terrified because it's happening too fast. Um, <laughs> but I think if you trust your path, um, you can you can trust the speed too. It's like riding, riding a car fast, you know? If you know how to drive <laughs> it, it's okay. Humans aren't intended to go 65 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for airbags and good vehicles and engineering. Um, so a moment ago, you alluded to Ascend. So for those folks listening, Ascend is our annual retreat and annual get-together where we pull our team together from all the corners of the U.S. where we're all located and come together. Uh, Fridays is a lot of meetings and strategy. And then Friday night, Saturday, we're just blowing off a ton of steam. Now, the event that you referred to, Shannon, was the last Ascend we did before, I think, uh, the, for the COVID era. And this, the 24th here in a few weeks, we're doing our, our, our first Ascend together since uh, the one that you referred to. Um, and Ascend for us has been always important. In the world of consulting, you're working with a lot of clients, a lot of people, and it's, it's good and important to uh, gather and come together. Because uh, otherwise, you know, you, you forget who you work with to some extent. Uh, so in consulting, it's really good to get together and have these gatherings. Um, and And... A lot of our team has always been remote. We've been a, a remote company, really going back to the beginnings of the company. And a lot of our team members are uh, scattered across the U.S. or in Mexico. We have a good concentration of folks down in Austin. But working remotely is, is something that we've all gotten very much used to, I think, with the, the pandemic. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of strategies and ways that, that teams um, – I guess, work together, but what are some of the, the things about managing a team remotely uh, that affect performance, in your, in your opinion? Oh, this is, this is one of my entire team is remote, um, as am I. And I think the one thing that I try my hardest to do is make sure we remain human. Um, you know, talking to you over Zoom, talking to team members over Zoom or on the phone call, sometimes we forget or we lose that human touch. Um, and so I think, like I said, trying to keep us as human as possible, asking the small questions, uh, not just about what's online and we're so connected. Um, it's really awesome that we're so connected. Sometimes it, we, it can be to our detriment, to our own mental health right? That we're that connected. And so sometimes telling people to go unplug for a few, take a walk, you know, um, but trying to remember that just because you're not physically present, because I think you, you know, you give off energy in, in somebody's physical presence. And so somebody can tell and pick up cues, you know, how are you doing? Um, it's different on Zoom. You got to hear them and you got to, you know, it, it does take, I think it takes a personal effort as much as it takes a professional effort. So we spend some time, um, we every, every Thursday actually, um, well not every Thursday, but on Thursdays we have what I call sharing Thursday and, um, well, I'll just ask, you know, a random question. What was your favorite book that you read? Um, you know, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite summertime activity? Where are you going to travel, you know, after this pandemic just to give us a sense of, you know, human, of being yeah. human. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. Um, so along those lines, um, you know, I, I suppose, ma'am, ma'am, I'm kind of leading you here a little bit here, but what, what do you most like about uh, your career at Persevere Consulting? That part. Um, 
I'll be honest with you. I get to do a lot of fun things um, that I like to do. I love I love management consulting. I love project management. Um, I even like incident management. Don't tell anybody. But but um, we do that at a high level, and then we also show that we can care about people. Um, early in my career, one of the biggest knocks that uh, a former CEO of mine told me was that I cared too much. And that I might be too nice. And I was like, well, that's, you know, fundamentally, I'm not a mean person, right? And I didn't think that you needed to be, you know, there's a there's a painting or there's a picture of a consultant that people have that were very ruthless, you know. Um, I don't necessarily know that you have to be ruthless to be successful. Actually, not, I don't even necessarily know. I know you don't have to be ruthless in order to be successful. And um, I think this company has really expounded upon that to me um just in my own personal life and then just watching y'all and being around y'all it's just been honestly it's been a really great cultural experience oh well, thank you we, we we do have a good a, do, a good culture that's for sure and that's you know that's the collective effort of a lot of people a lot of good leaders and a lot of just good folks that you know lead by example um some of the things that we do is to hope to um empower and promote um, our, our shared conscientiousness about things that are going on in the world. What are some things you can share about uh, you know, your role in uh, social justice and change and what we're doing? So I think it's part of my identity of who I am, who I want people to know who I am, right? And I think that seeps not just personally, um, or well, personally and then professionally, that we've been given a platform. Um, we started a social justice group. Um, I don't know how much you guys have talked about it on the on the podcast, but um, you know, with the idea that we need to bring awareness and action, um, and there's so many. There are so many areas of social justice that can be touched. Um, when you think about environmental justice as social as a means of social justice, when you talk about um, the prison industrial complex, when you talk about um, hunger, you know, um, there's so many things to be passionate about. And um, I think collectively we have a group of very passionate people, people that are passionate about life. And I think it becomes very easy then to have those types of conversations um, openly and honestly. And that's, uh, it's, but I think it helps drive you also as a person. Um, I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I get to there and say, if I worked for a company that did not have, um, that did not have some of these social justice things in mind, I, I would probably leave. Not even probably. I would hope that I'd have the fortitude enough to leave and say I'd, I'd stand for something else. I stand for something more. Hmm. Okay. Now, what, what, what are the orange, origins of your interest and what, what fuels you there? My parents. <laughs> my parents and my grandparents. Um, my On my dad's side, uh, my father is black and um, he was raised in the South, in the segregated South. Um, he and his sisters and cousins and some folks in the neighborhoods um, desegregated schools. You know, um, the idea that you'd send your children, your child to a school where they are not wanted um, seems like a pretty daunting task. 
Um, and so my grandfather actually, uh, on my father's side, ran for a political office that he knew he was never going to get. But um, he did it to prove a point, to be able to say, you know what, you're not going to, we're, we're, we're going to be here and you're going to hear us. And um, on my mom's side, my mom is um, Filipino. She's an immigrant to the United States. And so um, her, her journey has been different than my father's. Um, but it, they always told me that whatever your situation is, somebody else could be going through that or worse. So how you treat them, how you, um, how you respond to them, they'll remember that too and give where you mm. can. Mm-hmm. You know, I just happen to have a loud mouth, so I give a lot of opinions. That's my giving. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how, how are you, how are we you know, creating conversations and consciousness uh, in, our, in our teams? Uh, you know, it's kind of cool. We, you know, we collectively have this, we have a group of, I, I think, eight people that are in social justice. And everybody has their, um, I would say, passion. Um, but we first started out just having conversations, um, just saying, you know, how do you feel? And I think it's really important that you, when you talk to people about social justice, you talk to them on a personal level, um, because it is our personal experience that kind of drives that, right? If I didn't necessarily go through it, it has to be, sometimes it has to be really egregious in order for us to, to catch our attention. Um, George Floyd, right? Um, and the impetus for our social justice group came after, um, actually after you watched a video um, that I, I can say that I still haven't watched to this day. Um, and, and the visceral reaction that I think so many people had um, was really a, a jumping off point to say, how do we feel and what is wrong with this? And, you know, having we started in a small group and then, you know, kind of put that out to the larger group. Every couple of months or so, we have a, just a conversation around different topics, activism, um, what it, alliance, you know. Um, we've had, you know, history lessons um, on Mexico's social justice system, um, just for knowledge. And I think, you know, so now that we have this personal moment, we have this opportunity then to increase our own knowledge. We're, we've made, been made aware. Now let's increase that awareness. And uh, you know, the next step is where do you what do you do? How do you you know how do you create the activism? How do you spread that just beyond from beyond Presipio, right? Um, to other people, to our families. How do you have those hard conversations around race? You know, with your families. How do you have those hard conversations about saving? You know, basically trying to save the world at every turn that you possibly can, but. You know, how do you have those conversations outwardly and feel strong enough to have those conversations or to do something even? So it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But well, I was going to share also. Um, so we have a group that gets together weekly and then every state of the business we present on, on topics and themes of social justice. We, uh, we also have a VTO. So as part of our pledge 1%, uh, team members are encouraged to volunteer 1% of their time. And we're also looking for projects, you know, ways that we can help um, areas of, of community uh, to, you know, facilitate some kind of process or tool implementation or something. So if anybody has any ideas or groups that feel could benefit from, from our 
experience, we, we'd love to bring uh, projects to, uh, to light. I'm, well, actually, cool. I'm actually really excited about that opportunity. Okay. Uh, uh, and just because um, I think people oftentimes they think, well, I'm not talented enough or I'm not you know, loud enough or I'm, I'm too shy to go do that or to go do these things. Um, and what this opportunity is going to give us is doing what we do best and helping somebody out in the community to get to that digital transformation. So I'm really excited Super. about it. I can't wait when we get one together. That's awesome. <laughs> Very good. Um, so along those lines, what are the things that we're seeing? Because I know we've, we're speaking to a number of, of organizations in the in the area of social justice, environmentalism. What are some ways perhaps that the digital transformation can change the world for the better? It's crazy. So um, I... I'm a part of a couple of local activist groups and um, I've introduced them to Confluence and I've introduced them to Trello and uh, it's, you know, the speed of, and Slack for that matter, um, the speed of information, the speed to be able to organize. And I think that that's where, uh, that's where all this comes together. The confluence of things come together for me. Um, <laughs> But uh, last year, um, very quickly with COVID, um, I think we all had to learn how to communicate differently and still effectively. Um, and there's just so many, there's just so many avenues, so many ways to uh, to to have that communication, right? Um, and but picking your platform, picking how you how you send that message, all of a sudden becomes really critical, right? Um, being able to gather it all in one spot, being able to then disseminate that information out very quickly uh, is, I mean, literally a matter of days or hours where action can be put together. Uh, you know, um, there's so many, from a social justice perspective, there's so many different campaigns out there right now um, that are quick acting. You want to respond to your congressman or senator or, you know, to a local government about something that's going on. You can get things together so quickly because of digital transformation, um, as opposed to long letter campaigns, you know, that take weeks to get together. Yeah. Well, like, uh, I think it, the five or so tenets that uh, Killer Mike describes, I think are plot, plan, strategize, organize, mobilize, or something, something along those lines. And those are all the, 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 the challenges of any organization, any group that wants to advance uh, business centric or, you know, whatever it might be. And we're, we're definitely behind the tools and a lot of those frameworks to really help, um, in that regard. Um, so yeah, if anybody has ideas or, or projects that you need some help with, let us know. Um, so, you know, borrowing from, or it's still kind of on the topic of digital transformation. Um, what have you been seeing on the political campaign side of things since you've learned firsthand in your own political campaign, um, uh, a lot of things, I'm sure. But what have you learned there? Um, how do technology and politics intersect? It's very crazy, actually. Uh, last year was a different campaign season than I think anybody has ever gone through before. Um, our ability to actually communicate with people in person um, obviously was stripped down to zero. So um, trying to figure out how to fundraise creatively, how to reach 
how to get your message to reach people as creatively as possible. Um, it was crazy. And I say that because there's, there's so many different platforms, right? I mean, and, and people will ask and say, you have to first figure out like who your audience is going to be, right? Um, from a standpoint of voting perspective, it's kind of interesting because a lot of new technology is geared, social media wise, is geared towards younger people. Um, and younger people don't vote um, at, at the levels that older people do. And so how do you actively engage them and not just actively engage them to say, hey, spread this message, but also go out to vote. Um, and so you have, you know, you have to be creative, you have to be innovative, you have to be interesting, um, you know, uh, to get up on, uh, to, to do any of that. The, I think the other portion from a digital transformation perspective, how you go about campaigning is completely different these days. Um, even from a standpoint of um, fundraising, when you're turning in your information to the FEC or to your state legis uh, to your state government, from a standpoint of like how much money you've raised, um, all of that has gone electronic. So all of these paper documents have you know all of a sudden transformed into um, you know an email or you know, to a repository, a database, and then you know, even some of the tools out there that are designed to help you reach customers, right? Or not customers, I'm sorry, uh, voters. Would be the same actually you would do for any marketing campaign, actually, right? So um, like say from like a database, you know, what are we looking for? We segment our, you know, from a marketing perspective, you segment, you know, your audiences. Um, and you're sending out specialized messages, right? So last year, um, I was actually the first person in my race to go completely digital. Um, and I was able to do that largely because I knew how to, um, and was able to spring into action pretty quickly because I mean, a lot of our, a lot of our basics were already there. Um, he said, we used Confluence heavily, um, during my campaign, but all of a sudden we were like, oh, we definitely need to use it now. Um, let's focus, you know, um, speech writing. Uh, it, it really literally touched every single thing that we did. Wow. So let's, uh, let's turn back to, I guess, the more business-centric context. Um, you, running a, you run a team of, I think, what, eight people, nine people now? Ten. Maybe up to ten. ten. Okay, a ten in managed services. Um, describe to us what is managed services. In a couple of words, we are your full stack administrator. Um, and what that means is we can do every, we help clients everywhere from the user experience and user interfaces all the way to database, the database side of things. Um, we can set up an instance, we can upgrade your instance. We we do a lot of troubleshooting <laughs> um, and um, we can set up projects for you in JIRA. You know, we can help you, you know, change or transform your JIRA instance through EasyBI um, with reporting. Uh, we literally, with the 10 people that we have, um, I feel like there's no portion of the Atlassian suite that we can't touch or help you with. Mm hmm so in the world of, so this is largely an IT service management um, kind of game that we're in, helping run our customers' environments or hosting them for them and responding to outages, but also doing a lot of proactive work to prevent the outages. You know, in idle, there's 
incident management, which is reducing the mean time to recovery. So responding very fast, get things back up again. And then problem management as two of the like so many disciplines is the proactive work you do to prevent uh, incidents from reoccurring and thereby increasing the mean time between failures. Um, we've done a lot of work to, to be more proactive. What kind of things can you share with us? Because uh, as an example, I want to say, it's been a while since I looked at the slide, but I think 60, 70% of the time that we're spending in our clients' environments is on proactive work, creating value, helping them with actual consulting to optimize a workflow, things like that, uh, as opposed to like reactive incidents. What percentage of, of our managed services is on the reactive side? And what are the things that we've done to get to a smaller um, incident? So we are roughly around 15%. Um, I think last month, I think it, and it actually has increased a little bit this year. Um, just, um, some of the larger instances, some things that we've actually come across. Um, but it was actually reduced. I think when I first started actually tracking, we were somewhere around 26 or 27%. So almost a third of our time was spent, um, in reactive, um, kind of incident management. Yeah. And, um, some of the things that we've done, so we started health checks and those have been actually very valuable in talking to the customer in particular around their technical debt, um, being able to go in, do a little deep dive, um, how, you know, using best practices, especially on the process side of things, you know, let's, it, it's kind of interesting when you tell somebody you have a hundred thousand issues that you probably need to close out. <laughs> And they come back and it's like, well, why would I do that? Why would I buy? I don't want to do this. Well, if you do that, I promise you everybody's JQL search is going to get way faster and they're going to think that you're a hero. Um, and they go in and, you know, we go in and close some issues out. And next thing you know, they're like, that really worked. That really helped out, you know. But uh, it goes deeper than that, too. It goes, like I said, on the, on the when we go into incident management, um, I'm keen to look at the logs. And so they say, or the team, is, the, key, the team is keen to look at the logs and say, there's a lot of things going on here. Let's focus on this issue, but all these other things that we're seeing, let's track and let's follow up with afterwards because we see them in there, but we want to make sure that we get them cleaned out. But that's not our focus right now. Um, that has actually helped us a lot with the clients and cleaning, like, cleaning up their instances, like I said, cleaning up that tech, um, that technical debt, um, getting them into a spot where their instances are stable. Um, and I, to me, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of joy in the incident. There's a lot of, you know, rush, um, energy rush and in incident management. But, um, the real joy is knowing that you're not going to get a call on Christmas day. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, now we've obviously leveraged technology and dog food at, here at, uh, Precipia Consulting, but give us some examples how technology enables leadership and team management. Oh, wow. Uh, again, uh, speed of information is, is the first thing that comes to my mind, right? Our ability to um, organize um, information collectively, uh, to be able to collaborate um, quickly on, you know, let's say on an incident or even just on a problem uh, is, I mean, that's all based on technology, right? I always think about collaborative editing and the genius whoever came up with that um, as opposed to having to send an email, send a document, an attachment, you know, this, you know, um, cycle of maybe missing the wrong attachment kind of deal, um, is interesting, but 
I think also like when something like the support knowledge base, um, somebody's ability to be able to reference the support knowledge base for information on an issue that they might have had in the past um, increases our ability to answer questions faster for the clients. Um, managerial, managerially speaking, um, being able to provide that structure, I think uh, to the team, being able to say, here's where you can go to those, find these resources, or even collectively, I know somebody who has that knowledge. Um, it, it is actually one of the best things, honestly, about Precipio and managing managed services. We share so much information with each other. Um, and we'll reach out, you know, Michael, B-Rob, anybody. Have you seen this issue before? Let's talk about it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, let's let's change gears here. We have what we call the speed round. Yeah, some uh, some quick questions for you. Uh, most inspiring historical figure. Ooh, Mother Teresa. Okay. Uh, why? Um, probably the most influential non-political figure I could think of to me. Okay. Uh, um just the idea of being able to give one so selflessly to others um, and bring joy doing it just I, it seems she seemed very much at peace a lot of the time all right let's see uh, Ohio or Kentucky and what's the biggest difference between the two <laughs> um, well there's a river that separates us <laughs> <laughs> but um, Kentucky is SEC country. Um, we're big sports fans here um, in my house, and um, Ohio is Big Ten country, and so, eh, you know, we don't really care for that. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite software? Has to be Confluence, now that I think about it. Cool, cool. What, what, about, what about Confluence specifically? Again, there's just so many ways that I've seen people collaborate, um, put ideas to paper and be able to share them quickly. Um, again, like I said, I read a campaign where Confluence was, somebody asked a question, I was like, go to Confluence, it's all there, the data, you know, the information is there, it was easy, um, even, like I said, in the middle of COVID. Um, but I've seen it with other organizations, um, people use it outwardly as their intranet. Um, and I think that, you know, when built out well and built out properly is like it's your own wiki right i mean that's often folks you know people will call it their wiki and i think that that capability is just i mean for any company to have that the strength of that tool is amazing cool you mentioned intranet it was uh it was funny it's funny how intranets and extranets were pretty popular buzzwords back going six, seven years ago or 10 years ago. Shoot, maybe even like 15 years ago. Um, okay, cool. Let's see, uh, favorite book, fiction and nonfiction. Okay, so my favorite fiction book um, is gonna be To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and it's interesting because it's a book that for a long time, I think I read once a year and always got something different out of it. And my favorite nonfiction book, huh? There's a lot of them out there. Um, I think, you know what, I'm gonna go with 
the one I just read last, which is um, Don't Think of an Elephant. Okay, what's that about? Um, it's a political book, uh, and it talks about, you know, basically how we shape our messages um, and, uh, on the liberal side of the spectrum um, and how that, you know, and, and how it's worked for us and or against us in the past few years. Okay, gotcha. And uh, last speed round question, best political advice you were given? Be, be you, be your authentic self. I think people can see when you're not. And um, it's, uh, I feel like that's super important um, uh, that I would ask any politician to be. And a lot of times you see that and you see people out there and you're like, "Hmm, not so much, either that or you're just really authentically not that great of a person. (laughs) Well, it, it sounds like good human advice, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, Shannon, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Digital Transformationist podcast brought to you by Precipio Consulting. Precipio Consulting provides flexible, scalable, expert-level IT and business solutions to enhance productivity and decrease cost. Check out our other episodes, access show notes and links, and listen to some great bonus content on our website at precipio.com. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell a friend. We love making new friends. I'm executive producer Katie Thomas. Victor Vargas is our lead engineer. Alejandro Caballero is our editor. Stephanie Harrison is our writer. If you want to find out more about how we can help your organization with digital transformation, or if you just want to find out more about digital transformation, send us an email at contact at Thanks for tuning in. Oh, <laughs> oh,